Hi. In today's episode, I'm talking to Ashish Kulkarni and Naveen Kapra. Ashish is a repeat guest and Naveen is someone I've been wanting to speak for a really long time. In this conversation, we talk about parenting, learning, being curious, how to decide colleges, how to decide what to do, and much more. It was a thoroughly enjoyable conversation and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much Ashish and Naveen for agreeing to do this and speaking to me. It's a pleasure to be able to speak to you both. Likewise. Thank you. Um so I'm going to s- jump right in in terms of asking questions about things that both of you have written about. I think there's very clear themes of um thinking and talking about understanding curiosity, understanding what is it that you have to do, being very clear about it and of course college education. So I want to start with the statement that both of you are very curious individuals and i think anyone can make that out by looking at your twitter which as you said ashish you are <laughs> downsizing <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyone can figure that out by looking at the fact that you write a lot that you engage and dabble with in de- various formats you try to disseminate information um i want to understand that ashish your uh for for the longest time you were a full time economics professor at a university uh navin you're a founder of a very really technical company that engages in um really um complex technical tasks so how do both of you despite the fact that you lead very busy lives take time out and find time to be able to do any of this i will simple right i don't watch any news that frees up a lot of time uh and uh, i mean so this is what i spend my time on right other than work so but so uh, i mean you know the amount of time i spend on say watching serials or movies is significantly less uh, so i have time to do this and but i'm pretty sure in terms of that there are always tasks that are just there to eat your time so how do you make sure that you end up doing all of the things that you want to do oh no nobody and i mean i don't end up doing all of the things i want Most to do the right things. there are 100 things that i want to do and i can't do what i do uh, is uh, keep track of uh which are the most interesting things uh, i want to do and focus on those that is one uh, more recently i was forced to uh come up with sort of a list of priorities uh and say that in the medium uh, term uh, these are the things i really want to focus on uh and anything that doesn't fit that uh drop it on the floor uh, that i had to do uh, so that's sort of prioritization is what ends up happening the other of course uh interesting thing is that um if there is something urgent that needs to be done but it's not important and then there is something else so i end up procrastinating using the something else and that something else uh, ends up being what you see and i think very similar except the only modification i make is in my case efe is work and in fact if anything it is my highest priority so i haven't written today ironically but more often than not i'll wake up in the morning and before doing anything else i'll make sure that i write a post if 
it's bad news which means i have no post schedule for that day then it is the post that needs to go out on that day but the first priority is whatever is whatever it is that i want to get done first one but second i'll agree with navin i don't watch any television series at all hardly any movies if i'm lucky maybe one movie on the weekend but whatever else it is adjust itself around what i want to get done and efe for me very much is a platform that i used to teach people so that nowadays especially but even when i was working on a full time basis that was the first thing that would get done so i think i get a sense from both of uh, you in terms of that there is at least a really clear understanding of a prioritization and navin i would want you to uh, tell us more about how is this prioritization being done and the your process is towards it but secondly also the fact that you're clear about what you want to do and what are the things that are say distractions i don't want to use that word but yeah. say taking time away from the things you want to do so yeah so um i don't really have a very well developed or formalized process uh, for prior prioritization most of the time it happens uh, sort of automatically it's just once or twice i had to sit down and uh, think uh, the priorities through uh, because i had taken on too many things uh, but otherwise i sort of just go with my instinct go with the flow and uh, always have a sense of which things are boring but cannot be ignored and uh, which things i really f- want to do and feel like doing and they're always trying to grab my attention so it's always a fight between those two uh, things and i should mention that i don't watch television series true enough but youtube takes up a uncomfortably large chunk of my day and i should be honest about it i would like to think that they're educational videos and i enjoy watching them but they also end up being an unreasonably large amount of time pass so my guilty pleasure and time sink is youtube but it's an addiction that i try to get slightly better at but it's a struggle and i think that um it's a really important skill that being a student um for the longest time i've only stopped being a student <laughs> a couple of months back i think the biggest um distraction is that we are a lot like a lot of students are just not clear about as navin what you said like what i should be doing versus what i want to do yeah. and i think that kind of distinction is really important to be established and i think from experience and from what i've seen others do and what you're telling me what is important is that you sit down once in a while maybe once in a week whenever but you sit down and you talk to yourself and you make sure that you are aware of what is going on in your life that takes me sorry ashish no go ahead please no. so actually i want to uh, give couple of uh, clarifications there one is it's not once in a week it's like once in 2 3 years uh, <laughs> is when i do the prioritization the other thing i want to point out is that there are a lot of people who have a third category one was things that are uh, that need to be done there is things that i want to do and a third category that a lot of people have is things they feel they should do right and there is a little bit of a fomo there like there is a little bit of social pressure there and if you are able to give up those two things the fomo and the social pressure of things that should be done uh, then it becomes uh, easy to drop a whole bunch of things and free up a lot of time like uh, you know when i say i don't watch news the number of people who would be aghast at it 
uh, is very high, right? And the number of people who feel that you should know every pronouncement of every politician and uh, every debate that is going on on a daily basis, uh, it's fairly high. So that needs to be cut out, I feel. I agree. And the number of times when I'm asked in class about, say, for example, what the exchange rate is today or have you seen the latest announcement that whoever has made, I don't. And it's perfectly fine if I don't. If it's important enough, it'll bubble up in my feed in any case. And if it doesn't bubble up, if I need to find it out, I can always go out there and find it out. But the idea that you need to spend a lot of time in being up to date with the latest events simply isn't true. And one additional point, one thing that I've enjoyed the most after quitting my job is, and I don't know how uh, implementable this advice will be for people starting out in their careers, but meetings waste an insane amount of time. The number of hours I've spent both in corporate offices and in academia just sitting in a meeting where I've done nothing, but I've had to be in that meeting. It's unbelievable how much time it eats up. And it's not just time that you spend in the meeting. You're also emotionally and mentally exhausted after the meeting is over. So your productivity takes a hit after the meeting as well. So if you can, avoid meetings like the plague. Yeah, so there I would say I'm also lucky to have a work environment where meetings are not a very big part of uh, what I do. Uh, so I can be very productive uh, as far as the regular work goes. The second thing, what you said about the news, my friend Tubelight memorably phrased it as the only news that is worth knowing is the one that reaches me in spite of all my <laughs> attempts to stay ignorant. Good way of putting it, yeah. And yeah, sorry, one more thing I wanted to point out uh, in reference to what Ashish said. Stock market, I have zero interest uh, in the stock market. I have no idea of which company is going up, which company is going down and what is uh, what fell today and what went up. There's also a lot of people who spend way too much time on that. True. Uh, I want to take this segue into college education and this is something that I find myself talking more and more, writing more and more. I'm kind of concerned at this point. But uh, I think just for some reason, I think it's as I think both of you will agree there is just not enough cognizance or awareness about how big of a decision it is for individuals in terms of understanding and being conscious of what they want to do at that age in life. Because I think that for a lot of people, once they decide what kind of college or what kind of degree that they're going to be doing, most of them stay in status quo bias and they'll go along whatever is the path cut out for them. I think the um, variance between people who end up diverging and people who just stay in status quo is really less. So I think that that just working backwards means that um, it is, of course, not the most important decision. You can, of course, do whatever you want to if, if you really want to. But for the longest part and for the largest part, it is a really important decision that should be re well thought out. Uh, Naveen, you've written quite a lot in terms of how to choose a college after education. Ashish, you've written a lot about how to be clear of what you want to do and what is the amount, what is the type of learning you want to take out of um, education, like a college. So uh, I want to divide it into two parts. Naveen, I want to f ask you the first question in terms of uh, a more formalistic attempt at choosing a college hmm. and your ideas and writings on how how you think individuals should choose a college and Ashish after that I want you to speak to our listeners about once they are in the college how do they maximize learning so I my philosophy there is very simple I think 
the student should go to whatever is the best college that they can get into irrespective of the discipline irrespective of the branch um, right so uh, what i think uh, i mean it goes into what you said earlier which is that people feel that once they have chosen a branch they have to stick to it for a long time and that is not at all true uh, people switch all the time just like you switched from physics to law and i have a long list of friends who have made such switches in their career that it is uh, i mean almost inspiring right uh, the other aspect of that is what is called interest right oh i am not interested in this or i am not interested in i am interested in this and what i say is uh, if you find a subject not interesting i can almost guarantee you that that was taught to you by a bad teacher and the reverse if you find a subject interesting it was taught by a good teacher otherwise every subject is interesting and challenging uh, the importance of getting into the best college you can get into is that you will have better facilities you will have teachers with higher iqs and uh, who might be a little more engaged and most importantly the other students along with you will be more ambitious more driven smarter uh, and focused on the right uh, things uh, and that part is very important right so in terms of um, a, i mean picking a, sorry in terms of deciding after 12th standard what you should be doing it's the most important decision but also the least important decision right least important is the picking a discipline or a branch because that you can always change you just have to uh, fix uh, it in your head a little bit that you are allowed to change but it is also most important in the sense that you are picking a cohort of students to hang out with and they are pretty much going to decide what you pay attention to how much importance you give to studies how much importance you give to curiosity uh, and so on so in a sense jumping off from navin's answer uh, once you are in college and this is very much true these days wasn't necessarily true when we were in college but ask yourself what is it that these two years are going to give you that you simply can't get outside and the availability of coursera youtube or pick literally take your pick amongst online courses learning itself and this is going to sound very weird but learning itself isn't necessarily the let me rephrase that learning within a classroom isn't necessarily the best activity that you can do in college but what navin mentioned when he spoke about peer networks if you are in a good college which means i'm not sure about high iq uh professors the variance is surprisingly high across all universities but if you are in a good college you likely are going to have a good bunch of people you are studying with so invest as much time as you can in spending as much time as you can on different projects with those people could be academic could be non academic could be formal could be informal but do a lot of stuff and when i say do a lot of stuff i am being deliberately vague could be anything but do it the process of having done it will tell you whether you have enjoyed it or not what you need to refine what you need to discard but if you are not busy while you are in college then you are wasting time and busy doesn't mean doing assignments doing homework and ironically a 9:30 to 6:30 schedule of being in class is i would argue a very poor way to spend time in college but build out your peer network do stuff with them do hajar projects with them let 999 out of those hajar projects fail but that working on the project itself is the best kind of learning that you can get and the more you do it the better you're going to be in college that's really true in terms of 
increasing efficiency i would say not efficiency in the way you want to optimize everything but also in the sense that you want to take more out of the experience i remember um after 12th choosing university of delhi and not other colleges because i thought and others were telling me that go there for the exposure and i think having done that and in hindsight i think there was a great decision because i ended up anyway switching the degree that i was doing so uh thankfully i have the experience but i think it's really important that you are exposed to a new ideas and be new people because i think that after a point in time these are the two things that stick with you and your degrees change come and go to that extent going back like going forward from um college i want to now understand post college experience ashish uh, you've mentioned before that you think that earning money or a job should not just be a means to earn money it should be a way in which you can optimize your passion can you tell our listeners more about how do you choose a job what are the variables that you want to check out for and because i think this is a really really um important but also tedious choice that a lot of people are stuck in including myself right now but oh, before you answer i just want to give a, a tim o'reilly quote uh, about what you just said right that imagine you are going on a car trip right you need fuel okay? you are not getting anywhere without fuel but you have to remember that your trip isn't going to be a trip of petrol pumps right so this is <laughs> money is the fuel in your car trip of your life yeah. right this is from uh, tim o'reilly and as an economist i have to agree the point of earning money is to be able to spend it so you're wealthy when you spend not when you earn uh so one of my favorite mantras for having written on my blog over time has become what are you optimizing for and you need to be clear about what you are optimizing for so by definition i can't give a one size fits all answer about how to choose a particular career but a good place to begin is to be crystal clear about what you want out of your first job say for example for whatever reason it happens to be money maybe there's a family emergency maybe there's a student loan to be paid off so all right in that case taking the highest paying job may make sense for you but if you don't have any of those constraints i would argue that at a young age choosing a slightly riskier job which means not necessarily the safest or the most prestigious company but a company that allows you greater exposure across a broad variety of roles might be a good thing to do if you have the ability to do that at a relatively young age because you'll gain a very broad variety of experiences i would suggest and in fact i have suggested to students when i have worked uh, as a placement coordinator that they do this that they see what kind of companies are out there that are willing to take a chance on you you need not be clear about what your job description is you need not be clear about what your kra is maybe it literally changes by the hour but that's a good thing at that age and the reason it's a good thing is because i think you learn best not by theorizing but by doing and then discarding that which is not working so do as much as you can when you are young and ruthlessly discard it's easy to say difficult to do i have not always succeeded at ruthlessly discarding but the better you get at it the more you are clear about what is not working out for you keep experimenting and eventually even if you don't hit on whatever it is that your quote unquote true passion is i still haven't discovered mine at least you know what is not working interesting that, that you're saying you haven't discovered your true passion why why do you think so because whatever it is that i have been most passionate about has changed not very much so slowly but surely but it has changed over time so i thought analytics was the best thing ever but then i realized it was not then i thought doing a phd was the best thing ever i'm glad i stuck through and 
did I actually manage to get a PhD? I thought teaching would be something I would do for the rest of my life. Turns out, yes, but not necessarily in a formal academic setting. So, my in a sense, my career has been gloriously unplanned because I have not known what will come next, but I've known for sure what will not come next. Whatever has been discarded, I haven't gone back to it so far. And I don't think I will. So, discarding works better than acquiring when it comes to figuring out what your passion is, is at least something that fits for me and seems to have worked for people I have advised when I used to speak to people about placements in academia. Naveen, how have you approached the various, say, jobs you've done? <clears throat> so, um, again, like I said, every once in five or seven years, I asked myself, what do I want to optimize for, right? So, I very clearly remember that after 12th standard, after my JE result, I decided that I'm no longer going to optimize for uh, studies and I'm going to, you know, studies is going to be just one part of what I do and I'll do other things also. So in hostel, like uh, Ashish said, I was involved in all kinds of things, uh, non-academic activities in hostel along with uh, academics. Then uh, later on while doing my PhD, I said research isn't the only thing uh, I want to do, I want to do other things also. And I was dabbling around with the internet, created a website with of uh, Hindi song lyrics and so on. Uh, then uh, uh, I decided that I don't want to optimize just for my career. Uh, I do want to come back to India and uh, sort of live where I grew up because I felt I would be more comfortable here in the long term. And uh, this was you know, in the 90s when people thought this was like a very terrible decision to come back to India. Uh, but I said that's uh, not what I want to do. Later on when I was doing a job here, I decided that a large company corporate job was really boring because everyone just hates the bureaucracy. Everyone complains about the decisions that they don't understand and so on. So um, I quit. And at that time, I was lucky enough to be able to say that I don't care about uh, what income I earn and I don't care about what my long-term uh, career plan is, but I just want to do interesting things. So I spent like two, three years just doing various things that I found interesting without worrying about whether they generate income, whether they tie into a long-term career plan or not, and whether they are related to my background or not. And then uh, keep an eye open for things that are a combination of what I like to do, what I can do, and what somebody is willing to pay for. And that's how I have landed up where I have now landed up. Um, I want to go back to college because Naveen, I think you have pretty strong views about how what should happen, not what should happen to, but what should students do when they're going to college. And what I mean by that is you've advocated that if you can, to parents that if you can send your kids out of home, that even if it, has, it is at the cost of you having to pay more, pay that amount of some, some more. And um, other things such as um, that the, the fact that they like something or they don't like something is irrelevant because of whatever you said. Um, you also advocated quite a lot for a gap year, which I want to uh, talk a little bit more about because yeah. I think that's really interesting. So where is all of this coming from? Right. So um, I think what you have to keep in mind is the default plan 
for an Indian student, which is that, you know, from eighth standard onwards, you have decided which subjects you like. So it's either physics, chemistry, maths, or it is physics, chemistry, biology, or it is none of the above, right? And then you end up in medical or science or commerce or arts, uh, depending on what you chose in eighth standard. And then in 12th standard, depending on what marks you get, you uh, end up in a college and you decide your interests based on what is hot. Uh, and none of this makes any sense to me, okay? Especially given the how regimented our schools are. Students have had no chance of exploring what they like. So at 12th standard, when they have to decide what they want, sorry, uh, when they have to decide what they're supposed to do, they frankly have no clue what their likes and dislikes and strengths and weaknesses are. So that's where the first one comes in. Uh, that, uh, but they all think they have likes and dislikes, but that's really based on, you know, did they have a good teacher in a subject or a bad teacher in a subject, like I said earlier. So that's the first thing that what you think of the branch doesn't matter. And also this whole thing about, oh, this branch has scope and this branch doesn't have scope. I mean, any student of economics will tell you that that's not how the world uh, works right anything that has scope gets so much oversupply that it no longer has scope so uh, that's part of that for the same reason this because the student hasn't had a chance to explore anything at all uh, I think a gap year makes a lot of sense where a gap year is defined as something where you are going to try out at least three different things uh, you know what I would recommend is one is an internship of some sort where you're working with an actual uh, company and you have non-trivial responsibilities, uh, some travel uh, maybe, uh, and maybe some work with an NGO, uh, maybe some, uh, I mean, some of the students I know, they have even gone and uh, done an internship in a college that they thought they would like to do or in a subject that they thought they would be interested in. One student I know went to Aisar Mohali, worked with a chemical engineering prof there and discovered that she doesn't really like chemistry as much as she thought she would uh, and completely switched her field and so on, right? So that's where the gap year comes in. And the third thing that let them stay away from home has nothing to do with college, right? It has to do with the fact that we grow up in such a sheltered environment, especially compared to West, uh, the West. Uh, in the West, kids start doing odd jobs from when they're like 10 or 12, whereas our kids, everything is handed to them on a platter uh, until they're 17. And if they stay at home, then until their 20s. Uh, second problem with that is that they have never known worldviews other than that of their parents. Okay. So staying away from home, staying in a hostel is going to help the child grow up in a way that just does not and cannot happen when you're staying at home uh, with your parents. Uh, when, uh, you know, for uh, postgrad, I went to the US and at that time we would see kids coming in from India uh, after having done their undergrad, right? Just talking to someone for five minutes, I could tell the difference whether this person came from a hostel or they came from home by the way that the, I mean, the confidence, uh, the awareness of possible different points of view, the ability to deal with setbacks, all of that, 
right whereas a person who grew up at home all decisions have been made by parents anything difficult you go to parents for and it is just uh, i mean quite raw couldn't agree more i mean the honesty isn't much to add except to give you a couple of examples from my own life so the ability to distinguish who's come from a hostel and who's come from home i was a day scholar myself but i spent half my life at the hostel when i was in college and say for example uh, a switch is not working in a room if you are from home you will try to figure out how to get somebody to come home and fix it for you and a guy who stayed in the hostel will either try and figure out how to do it or figure out an alternative but calling for help versus doing it yourself you can clearly make out that attitude and that's just one very small example and at the end of my first year in gokhale institute uh, i did not do an internship simply because i didn't feel like doing one i was literally lazy enough to not want to do an internship but a professor of mine was eccentric enough to ask if i would take him on a bike because he needed to go to uh, different parts of interior maharashtra to figure out attendance in primary healthcare centers and he was eccentric enough to ask if he could come with me on the bike and i was mad enough to say sure why not so we spent 3 weeks driving across the interiors of maharashtra and it was just the most amazing experience in terms of learning what maharashtra looks like by reading a book is one thing traveling through it on a motorcycle to reach uh, phcs in villages is a completely different story and those kind of live experiences will tell you much much more than any amount of classroom learning ever will and so travel and if you can do it across 52 weeks instead of 3 weeks please go ahead and do it it's the best learning that you'll ever get and i think a lot of this advice isn't just aimed at call like school students i think it's juxtaposed to at any stage in life when you're considering school yeah. or if generally if you uh, i think if you haven't done this traveling bit you can do it at any point in time yeah. because at the end of the day it's about gaining perspective yeah. um that brings me to this one statement that i think nitin pai had made that older adults should let younger adults be adults yeah. yes. so i want both of you to unpack that statement for me what what does this mean so let's just take this hostel example right uh, what exactly is happening when the student stays at home is that neither do the parents let that child be an adult even though now the child is 18 19 20 but the child is still a child at home because all decisions are being made by parents nor does the child let himself or herself be an adult because they don't even realize that there are decisions they can take by themselves right because everything the the comfortable easy thing to do is run to the parents because parents have things figured out for the last 20 years so yeah i mean that's and in fact the whole point of being in a hostel is that for the first time in your life you can be an adult ashish before just um you say something for me what is really um the one thing that i could observe of course in my parents in others parents or in general is this sense of being protective and that's not of course hopefully like an indian um uh feature every parent is protective but i think it's about talking to yourself and learning that there is there should only be an extent to which i should cushion my child's life beyond which even if my child is getting bruises they should get it because they will learn from it and they should face hardships and the point is that i think after a point in time even if the child as in like this adult at 18 19 or 20 i've seen people who are 24 still living with their parents even these people when they realize that i think it's time for them to be adults 
but their parents will be the one who stop that metamorphosis from occurring so how do we solve that what do we do about it go to hostel stay away from parents for a little while i'm not saying ditch them right just but spend a few years away that's the easiest otherwise it's like a fight right you have to break their heart you have to have difficult conversations nobody is good at that and uh, just i wanted to add something related to protection right uh, in the world until yesterday jared diamond gives this lovely example of uh, you know we all want to protect our children from fire and we don't let our children get anywhere near fire but there are some tribes which don't have this concept they're like you know fire big deal let the children go and do what they want uh, every once in a while a child uh, burns itself a little bit and learn right it's not like those children are dying or getting seriously hurt any more than us uh, it's just that once you have created a culture of protection you think that it is impossible to live without that protection but that's just not true it's just a culture it's just a something random you did and you are sticking with it that's also one of the reasons why i have to stay out because until you live away from home you don't realize what are the things inside your house which you assume are just you know taken for granted you don't even realize that there is an alternative here only when you see somebody else doing something completely different and you realize oh i didn't realize this could be done again not much to uh, add over there except the book that i was reminded of is a book called foolproof by greg gip and i'm paraphrasing over here but he says that the best way to learn how to ride a bicycle is by falling off it so those training wheels or those elbow guards or knee guards the first time you're learning a bike as a 6 year old is actually a bad idea and that sounds weird to say because as a parent i have i'm a parent to a 10 year old so i remember very clearly how long ago it was that uh, my daughter learned how to ride a bike but the falling is important because it is remembering how to not fall the next time that is literally the act of learning how to ride a bicycle but that same example taken across to the age of 21 is basically the point that is being made over here you have to learn to live with your failures but you only fail by experimenting in the first place so go ahead live outside you will make a couple of mistakes you'll be stranded out of home at 1 in the morning and not be able to figure out how to get back in you will run out of milk when guest turnover bigger disasters might happen but learning how to avoid those the next time around is learning how to live life and the sooner you get started beyond a certain minimum age the better it is so yeah absolutely if you can go and stay in a hostel please go and stay in a hostel if you've got a job and if you can manage it in the same city that your parents are staying in try and see if you can stay separately not to be clear because you have problems with your parents or anything like that but because learn, living on your own is the best way to learn absolutely 100% agreed i think what i want to ask now is that um both of you i'm assuming both of you are parents i want to understand how do you counteract this kind of automatic programming if i might add because you're also in a peer network of other parents in which there is a very specific type of thinking of uh, prote- being overly protective so how do you counteract that and how are you able to talk to yourself that it's okay that i if i am doing things that others things thing are even blasphemous for that matter how can you let your child like do x y z so how do you counteract that kind of societal pressure and mental pressure if, if so is. i think i read a very nice quote yesterday saying that uh, you know a lot of social pressure is just simply two or three 
difficult conversations okay it's nothing more than that just we make it such a big thing in our head uh, so my wife and i have been lucky that both of us for the small number of things that we feel are very important are completely okay to uh, tell other people that this is how we do it and we don't really uh, want to listen to you <laughs> uh, about this right so uh, just taking uh, ashish's example a walker right when you are a kid uh, i mean for when you have a kid who's learning to walk we buy this walker for the kid and so that the kid will not fall and will learn walking and that's just absolutely the wrong way to learn walking the way to learn walking is by falling uh, similarly uh, once a kid is more than 3 months old and more than 10 pounds or 10 kg i forget the exact number but once they are beyond that they have a fully functioning temperature regulation system which means that if you are not feeling cold the child is not feeling cold if you are not wearing a sweater the child doesn't need a sweater and you know the monkey cap is never needed okay now we have had cases we knew that we decided that is how we are going to be and we have had people yelling at us for uh, you know why are you letting the child uh, ex- be exposed to the cold and uh, literally people walking in the street stopped us and yelled at us you just have to learn to ignore them that's it yeah the only person who you should listen to is your spouse and navin is lucky that he and his wife have been in agreement not always been the case with i and my wife over a variety of different areas but as the only area where you need to have a conversation but i will be lucky i, I will say that i'm lucky in the sense that even if there have been disagreements either one of us has been able to convince the other not out of force agreement but by figuring out that all right this probably is the best thing to do worst case let's try it if it doesn't work we can always go back but yeah you need to develop a thick skin where say for example grandparents family members or as in navin's case complete strangers on street point out that boss what kind of parent are you this is the kind of parent that we are and this is how it is going to be but especially in indian context you have to develop that thick skin because people are never shy of giving advice where yeah. kids are concerned yeah. so you oh, have to I, learn how to for me i think one thing that really helped was i managed uh, to develop a reputation part of it intentionally <laughs> that well navin doesn't listen <laughs> okay so and i like to quote uh, research at them so then they would give me a suggestion uh, and after a while they learned that they will give the suggestion and i'll say but oh you will have research uh, against it so i said yes and that's it done <laughs> i should try giving just a threat of saying i have research <laughs> might work um that brings me to a much larger question of parenting i want to understand a something that i've been thinking about in terms of how do individuals firstly i think that not enough people really understand what they're signing up for when they are becoming a parent i think more i would go on to say most parents are not qualified to be parents and i'll tell you why i think that but secondly in terms of for the even for the few population that thought it out in terms of okay I think that I am at a position that I can be a parent. I want to ask both of you what is your kind of grand not grand but what is your philosophy of parenting in terms of for you if I were to ask a simple question what do you think successful parenting is how would you build on that and what would your thoughts be on that Simply put although I will want to embellish this depending on how much time you have it could take a couple of days 
raising a good human being is the simplest way that I can put it. Now, what makes for a good human being is where the couple of days might be taken up. But I would want my daughter to be sociable, to be friendly, to be reasonably well-read, and if not well-read, at least in general, aware of the world, innately curious and responsible for her own self. So long as that is achieved, mota moti. I can add as much detail as you want. But that to me is my aspiration. For me to have been a good parent, my daughter should have had those qualities. Would be how I would put it. Uh, before answering the question, let me uh, take issue with something else you said earlier, right? I think a lot of modern society makes too much of a big deal about parenting and everything has to be perfect and this little thing you didn't do properly and now it's on you and so on. And I think all of it, that is wrong. Okay, There's a book by Bruno Bettelsheim called Good Enough Parent. And I think, forget the book, the title itself is the most important part, right? Most of the things that you obsess over are not really that important, okay? Kids are very, uh, they are not fragile, okay? They are anti-fragile, uh, in fact. They are robust, they are anti-fragile, they learn from experiences. Most importantly, they learn from your example, right? They do what you do, not what you tell them to do. So... Uh, what you, uh, what I think you should be doing with kids is most importantly, set a good example for them through your behavior, not with the kids, with the kids of course also, but with everybody else because that's what they are going to copy. Second is don't beat yourself up. Uh, nobody, I mean, parenting is hard. Children are difficult and uh, most of the time you think you are screwing up. Just get through it because uh, it's really in the long term when you look back it's not uh, that important uh, so I think the third thing most important thing you have uh, I feel is that you want to give the kids a sense that for important things you are there for them right you are their rock they can depend on you and uh, sort of related to that what we have tried very very hard to do hopefully succeeded at least 70-80-90% is that for any kind of trouble they are in or any thing they feel comfortable talking to us right uh, I mean we haven't succeeded completely but that's what uh, we are trying for because once those two things are there everything else can be figured out that, that makes a lot of sense and I want to go back to what you said, Ashish, in terms of this couple of qualities that you said that if you think your daughter has, you think you've done a pretty good enough parent, basically. Yeah. But how do you make sure that you are able to communicate these qualities into you? Because there's no guarantee, right? So what? how do you make sure, even to the extent that you think that, okay, I am trying my best? No guarantee, number one. And number two, this is what I would... if. That, uh, if you're asking what my benchmark is to have been a successful parent, this broadly speaking would be it. I'm not saying I've achieved it. I'm saying that this is what I would want to achieve. And I hope I'll succeed. I hope to God that I'll succeed in this uh, benchmarking endeavor. But all you can do is do the best that you can. And you will every now and then fail. You shouldn't beat yourself up as a parent because there are... Even today, I can point out a couple of instances where I probably failed as a parent. Not a big picture failure, but a small failure every now and then. For example, too much procrastination on YouTube is 
I telling my daughter that it's okay to spend too much time on YouTube. And then I'm being a hypocrite if I tell her that now you can't watch YouTube on the tab. So setting a good example very much is there and I'm sure I fail at it. Shouldn't fail too often and you should try and get better over time. But no, there's no guarantee of success in anything, least of all parenting. Do you feel any kind of resentment? I, I want to build on what you said, Naveen, in terms of people being too harsh on parents. Because I think you also said that, A, don't beat yourself up. And secondly, there's this, that you don't agree with this whole narrative of perfect parenting. So do you think that there's, uh, resentment is a strong word, but do you think that there is this fetishization of this ideal parent who churns out this perfect human being and that we are very, very, very quick to judge parents who at the end of the day, I think are just human beings. Yeah, 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 absolutely. All of our culture, a lot of our uh, culture is based on that. Uh, and also we give ourselves way too much importance. I mean, we think we did all of this. I mean, very little we are able to do, right? The kid comes with its own personality and there's lots of things shaping them. You just, uh, I mean, like uh, Ashish said, I mean, the best you can do is try and then live with the results. Um, I want to now move back to classrooms and talk about curiosity in classrooms because I think that Ashish is already annoyed <laughs> about it. Um, I wanna like I wanna start with you, Ashish, only because you've written quite a bit on how the hell do I increase curiosity in my classroom. Um, we've spoken about this before in terms of the fact that curiosity seems like a no-brainer to have, in the sense that, and we've also discussed, and like either of you can tell me if you differ uh, with this statement that you can cultivate curiosity um, to at least certain degree. Given that it kind of seems like a no-brainer that if you have curiosity, you will have good outcomes. Why is there such a deficit of curiosity? I won't even speak about general individuals because then they, they might have responsibilities and other things that they're doing in their life that may, be, that may take away the time to be curious. But in students, whose I think the only job should be to be curious. So where is this? Why is there a deficit? Where is the energy going? Well, I... It's such a big problem to unpack uh, depending upon which part of the world you're talking about, depending upon which time period you're talking about, the answer might change. But specifically in an Indian context, the reason I would argue students are not curious is because we have told them that it is not their job to be curious. It is your job to score marks. So no, your function as an Indian student in not all cases, but in the vast majority, I would argue of almost all Indian students today, your job is to score the highest amount of marks possible. And students are being quite reasonable and rational from an economic perspective if they say, we are going to minimize the effort we need to put in to score as high marks as possible. So I would say they're being perfectly rational from their viewpoint. We can tell them that this is school is about learning and that college is about learning and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be judged by everybody in all contexts by kitne marks mile, then that's it. That's the problem you're going to try and solve. To me, that's the number one reason. There are other factors. But the number one reason is the job of a student is to score marks. The job of a student is not to be curious. And they respond to this environment. If what I need to succeed in life, to get respect for my peers and for family and to land a job and to get into the next college is to score high, as high marks as possible, this is what I'm going to do. And unfortunately, our examination systems don't reward curiosity. They reward rote memorization. So that's what ends up happening. Again, I'm not saying this is the only factor. But if you ask me to build a univariate model, 
it would be this that I would pick as my variable of choice. Yeah, we'll come back to that. But Naveen, what do you think? Where is this? Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, in like he says, incentives matter, and uh, in our case, curiosity is going to actually reduce your board marks, right? So curiosity is bad for you. Why? Why? Why do you say that? I mean, we have a textbook that is printed, okay, and the people who set questions for the board have to give justification that this question came from the textbook they have to indicate the line number page number and line number otherwise that question is considered invalid okay so it means you are given a textbook and you are told that the only thing that comes is from the textbook anything that is outside of this textbook is illegal it is not going to be asked okay now you tell me if curiosity i mean how can you be curious right curiosity means you have to go here go there go there each one of those is clearly something that is not going to be in the board right so curiosity is going to reduce your board marks that is one the second big problem is that the median teacher is not curious the median teacher you ask them a question and they will say a it is not in the textbook it is not relevant to your marks or the board sometimes it's because the teacher is not passionate sometimes it's because the teacher is tired and bored and doesn't want to put in the effort most of the time it's because the teacher herself or himself is neither curious and doesn't know the answer so yeah i mean you you send the child to school to kill their curiosity i i should like yeah go on no i was i was about to say that that's a joke that you read on t-shirts but it's plain simple fact in india you do send children to school and colleges to kill their curiosity and we succeed yeah i think this uh, goes back to what you had said in our previous conversation that school that you think that colleges and schools don't even have to be responsible for maintaining curiosity that they just have to be not liable for killing it that would be a good place to start <laughs> yes <laughs> but david uh, i want to go back to what you said that curiosity you think curiosity may kind of lead you to score less marks the way i understand is that you can of course do the textbook that's the most primary thing you can do but you can still be curious in the sense that from building on the information and the knowledge you've acquired you can build more on it and you have if you have time then you can go more on it so then why why yeah, why yeah of course you? i mean you know uh, and that's the reason why we continue to have uh, great kids coming out of our system in which is in spite of the system not because of the system the way i like to think about education is the f- that you know probably there's like the top 10% of students they're going to succeed no matter what they're succeeding in spite of the system they are the ones who are going to insist on being curious they will be curious and they will do all kinds of things and later on realize that that's a great way to get decent marks in board not necessarily the top marks but uh, decent marks there is a bottom 10% who are just a dead weight they're lost there's nothing you can do but the 80% in the middle are just going to go with the flow of the system and those are the ones who are going to pretty much get a signal from everywhere that curiosity doesn't pay that brings me to my second question which is that how do you as a i would say as a responsible teacher in a classroom given that you know that 
this is something that the present education is not optimizing for. And you also realize that there is some power, however minute, that you have in which you can still be able to communicate and instill that quality in your students. How do you do it in terms of what do you what do you think, A, what you do, but secondly, what do you think professors can do to make people curious? Um, I don't know that I have a good answer to the question of what I do or what people should do to make people curious. I mean, we laughed about this a couple of minutes ago, but a good place to start will be to make sure that whatever it is you're doing doesn't kill a person's curiosity. I think one of the way to define people is to say that they are by definition curious. That's what makes us human to find out what is over the next hill, to find out whether this is going to be good to the touch or bad to the touch about how this thing tastes or whatever it is. We just are born with an innate curiosity. So, so long as your teaching doesn't kill it, that's a good place to start. And I mean that now in all seriousness, number one. But number two, give people one, the idea that it's okay to learn outside of whatever it is that is being taught. So not just uh, punish tangential questions, instead oppose it, reward them. And feel free to take the discussion wherever it is that any student wants to take the discussion towards. Make sure you come back to whatever it is that you're teaching, sure. But allow them to explore this idea, but in another context, what might it look like? This principle, but apply to that instead of what I'm teaching you, what might that look like? And to not just develop, but to reward that sense of learning by applying across different contexts. And my favorite trick, it doesn't always work, but I'm going to try it every single class that I teach, is to ask people to ask five random questions. So it's a favorite trick of mine. And there are multiple reasons why I do it. One of the reasons is to help students realize that the best learning comes by asking truly weird questions. And the weirder you make the questions and the more fun you have answering them in all seriousness, you teach them that, hey, you know what? looking at a textbook or memorizing something isn't the only way to learn. Ask completely random questions and then go and answer them. I am not a teacher in our educational system. I don't understand what it is to be a teacher in this kind of a system. And as a result, I don't really have any clue uh, what the answer to your question is, right? I know a bunch of people who are uh, working heroically towards uh, improving uh, the system, towards uh, training the teachers. Uh, they are funding such initiatives. They are running such initiatives. Uh, maybe you can have some of those on your podcast someday. Uh, I don't have an answer. That brings me naturally to Genwise, which is this um, initiative that is started by one of your friends. And um, as far as I understand it, it's essentially a kind of an alternate forum for gifted students to learn and essentially what we are talking about, be curious. So can you tell us about what is Genwise? So um, Genwise was started uh, by a few of my friends who, uh, I mean, earlier they were working in uh, the educational system. I mean, not uh, in the systems, but they were uh, working in a software company that provided... Uh, uh, material that helps student, uh, software that helps student practice uh, what they learned and to assess how well they learned it and so on. And after a while, they realized that uh, there is a gap where gifted students are bored out of their minds and can we create interesting courses for them, taught not by their teachers, but say uh, 
say profs from uh, colleges uh, and or people from industry uh, teaching something which is not at all connected uh, directly to their board exams or something like that right uh, that is the basic idea they started with and they've been doing that uh, every year for the last seven eight Uh, years, uh, I think uh, it works, uh, works extremely well. I teach, uh, I have taught courses like uh, uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I have taught uh, artificial intelligence. I have taught game theory. Uh, I have taught cryptography and code breaking uh, things like that. Right? None of these are things you learn in class, but the kids really enjoy them and their curiosity, their uh enthusiasm for this always uh blows me away more recently genwise has also started working on some of these train the teachers initiatives so at least one school they are working with where they help the teachers with how do you make classes more interesting how do you help the students become more curious how can you give better examples Uh, for teaching X Y Z uh, and things like that, so that's a more recent uh, initiative. And these uh, these children are how old? So uh, I mean, Genwise basically targets uh, uh, around ten to fifteen year olds, right? So people who are just finishing fifth or sixth standard to uh, students who are finishing ninth standard. Just this year, they have started experimenting with students who have finished tenth or eleventh standard, also. So that age group. But do you sometimes get surprised by how well these students can oh, understand these? Always, things? always. I mean, I'm always very surprised by how well uh, they understand. I always uh, go with some preparation that I'm going to teach them X, and I end up teaching them far more than that because they ask so many questions, they grasp so quickly. that brings me yeah, yeah. so to add to what navin said and i've taught at genwise uh, across four programs now adjusting your expectations each time so i know how good the last batch was and even if you go in with raised expectations they are still met and not just met exceeded so it's been four programs so far but all four times even if you adjust your expectations you still end up being surprised at how enthusiastic they are how curious they are and how much you end up teaching a 30 hour course taught to college students will not complete as much as Five days of teaching these students, and I say that in all seriousness, it's it's amazing to see, truly amazing. So before I move on to, I want like I want to now talk a little bit, little bit about spotting talent. But before that, uh, do you think that a most of college is unnecessary in terms of whatever activities we do, whatever courses we do, and secondly, this is something that I have started to think, and you can tell me what you think about it. Is that most people do college because they think they have to do college and they can survive without doing college only if the industry stopped requiring it so so i would say i should go back to my 1080 right the top 10% would do extremely well no matter what they did even if they didn't go to college and usually the people who say that college is not important and college uh, you can do without college are the ones from that top 10% or the ones who are only looking at them right the middle 80% absolutely they need college otherwise they would just not do anything they would not push themselves to learn things i mean no matter how much we complain about 
colleges the fact still remains that for four years they do push you grind you through a whole bunch of subjects uh, and even if you don't really i mean uh, even if it is taught so badly that 80% of the stuff you don't learn properly still 20% that goes in your head is 20% more than what you would have gotten if you had didn't go to college because these are kids who don't have curiosity right if they had curiosity this wouldn't be a problem but they don't uh, i mean the other thing that everybody likes to bring up is that now there is so much content available online and uh, coursera courses are there right so there is what's the need to learn from your college in fact on coursera the best prof in the world from the best university in the world is teaching that same subject uh, easily a hundred times better than your uh, teacher right um, the thing to keep in mind is that for coursera courses completion rates are single digit mid single digit percent right 5% 6% it's only those people in the top 10% who can benefit from that the rest cannot do it they have to be herded in classrooms and they have to be taught like that i would dearly love to disagree i, I would pay a lot of money to be able to disagree with what navin just said but unfortunately it is true so i did not have a good experience as a student in college i had a whale of a time as a person in college but i don't think i learned much sitting in a classroom and i suspect that is true for quite a few people but unfortunately we live in a world where students are selected for the labor market from colleges so they really until as you yourself mentioned in the question until that changes a there is no getting around college b another favorite question of mine to ask on uh, when i write on my blog is relative to what so already right, imagine a world where people don't go to college but then what and the 1080 10 example is a really good uh, or framework is a really good framework to use over here because the people in the middle that 80% is going to struggle without this way of signaling to the labor market that hey we are good enough to sit at a chair for 8 hours 5 days a week you can be very cynical and god knows i'm very cynical when it comes to college and say that maybe that is all that college teaches you compliance in terms of sitting at a place and getting some work done for 8 hours 5 days a week but even that's a skill that you do pick up and if i were to take away my completely cynical outlook towards colleges the peer network even if nothing else the peer network that you get by being in a college and suffering through college with your batchmates those kind of bonds you'll never ever form again in life and by the way there is research to this effect so the kind of friends you make in college are the kind of friends you'll never ever make for the rest of your life so even if it is not for the learning even if it is not for the signaling at least for the peer networks there is no alternative to colleges and in my dream world there would be a college which emphasizes peer networks much more than anything else so no i would like a collegeless world but it's not possible right now that brings me to a question of how do you spot talent and i, I want to ask this in two um parts again one is to spot talent when the students are young as students and second generally in life navin i must start start with you because you have co-founded a company that essentially filters out candidates for other companies so i want to ask you what is your understanding of how do you spot talent and what talent means for you unfortunately uh i am not the right person for this question right because how do you spot talent uh in the sense of uh, the book by tyler coven right i really don't have experience with that sort of stuff what 
I do in my company is something much more mundane, which is how do you spot a person who will sit in the chair for eight hours and do what they are told to do, uh, or more importantly, who are basically have some basic level of competence at the tasks that the company wants them to do, right? So what we do are we are not spotting talent. What we are doing are we are rejecting the eighty percent of students being churned out by our colleges who are not at all fit for the tasks that the company uh, wants them to do right so that's what we end up doing and our usp really is that we don't ask them like stupid questions that require them to memorize formulas from textbooks we ask them questions about the kind of stuff they would actually be required to do on the job and somehow that is revolutionary in this field so but generally in terms of what what do you think on a personal level what talent is see i think we give too much importance to talent especially where talent is defined as this person is really good at something uh, and so on right uh i have been uh, i mean because i was in iit i have been around smart people uh, a lot and uh, then after getting out i have been around quote unquote less smart people also a lot and what i have seen is that in the long term hard work beats talent easily okay so consistency and hard work is what i would pay more uh, attention to uh, and curiosity rather than talent at least in the sense that most uh, of normal people use that word okay tyler cowen uses it in a different sense but i don't really have uh, experience in that area um just before ashish you uh, say um so basically if all things equal there there are two candidates one is a little less like not less bright not as bright as the other candidate but you think that the hmm. second candidate has more grit and is more hard working you choose the second yeah completely agreed if i am interviewing candidates for a company and i see a truly brilliant fellow a truly brilliant person the chances are that this person will get bored in this job if it's a very much stereotypical 9 to 5 job and that's just a plain simple fact so i'd much rather not recruit that person and this is not an indictment of the world that we live in this is an acknowledgement of the world that we live in we ought to be optimizing under this in this context we ought to be optimizing for the kind of person that you just spoke about and that's not a knock on either person but that's just the nature of this job that's literally how it is so spotting talent in fact i would argue that this is spotting talent for this context yeah so i would like to add something that i just thought of right which is that when i actually am interviewing people uh, i am not really asking myself how do you spot talent right what i am really looking for um, is clarity of thought okay because what i find is that a vast majority of people are muddled in their heads okay uh, when you start poking into why they did something what they are doing what is the important uh, i mean i look for things like do they understand why this is being done 
what is the important part there and what is the less important fluff can they are they able to ignore the fluff and get to the main point are they able to understand the reason behind the reason not just the superficial thing that was said but what is the real incentive uh, going on here what is the real question here and are they able to think through the consequences of things right that that clarity of thought and being able to tell a simple story which is which gets rid of most of the detail but which captures the essence right that's what i look for this this reminds me of this one anecdote we used to hear back in military school that whenever somebody who was academically a little bright who would not get into the army they would console him by saying that it's okay in the army they just want people with little to no brain who will just act as a robot and uh, if they think that you're a little bit smart and stuff they'll not take you because they want as you said like you're optimizing for a worker not for intelligence which brings me to a natural question that doesn't that seem counterintuitive on a deeper level because if you're an employer yes prima facie you want people to be good at the job you want them to do and as you said that if somebody is of a higher intellectual capacity it's likely that they will get bored of it and there are transaction costs to that for your own company but at the same at the, on the other hand you want good people really smart interesting people to be in your company who might add things that this just force of workers that you want to create otherwise can't so how does like a hirer uh, consile this you should be clear about what role you are hiring for so horses for courses and uh, just a couple of days ago one of my favorite bloggers in an indian context a gentleman called gulzar natrajan he had written a very long post on uh, amazon's hiring practices and amazon ramped up really significantly during the pandemic but they went out of their way to make sure they were not hiring people who did especially well on tests that indicated a certain higher level of intelligence in certain contexts because this is a kind of person who will leave fairly soon and they were optimizing for the very opposite of this kind of person is that a great world to live in arguably no but that's what amazon was explicitly optimizing for given their requirements so we can complain about the world as it is and want to change it but given that this is a world and given that these kind of jobs are still necessary this is the kind of hiring that you're going to have to do and it's not just amazon so everybody loves to jump on amazon and say they are cruel and they do this and this and that all companies do this and i would argue quite rationally you should optimize for grit gumption regularity sincerity for certain kinds of jobs i'm not saying that other kinds of jobs don't require this of course they do but in these contexts if this is what you require then this is what you should be optimizing for and that's just again the world that we live in that makes sense up uh, that brings me to a little diverse diverse topic which is something that you talk about you've talked about um, in your podcast as well this whole concept of if you were to redo college how would you do things differently so navin uh, if you were to redo college if you were to go back to iit what what would you do things differently if anything at all yeah so i think couple of things i learned quite late in life was one the importance of uh, networking uh, whatever networking i did in iit just happened uh, incidentally i could have done much more that is one second is that 
बट जनरली द इम्पॉर्टेंस ऑफ से अंटरप्रनरशिप इज अगेन समथिंग आई हैड नॉट अंडरस्टूड अंटिल मच लेटर सो आई हैड नो थॉट टू दैट दैट इज समथिंग आई माइट हैव थॉट अबाउट मोर एंड देन द रिजल्टिंग थिंग्स दैट कुड हेल्प विद दैट राइट फॉर एग्जाम्पल टेकिंग पार्ट आई मीन ऑर्गेनाइजिंग मूड इंडिगो एंड थिंग्स लाइक दैट आई मट हैव डन मोर ऑफ दैट सो थिंग्स लाइक दैट बट नथिंग दैट यू रियली रिग्रेट और रिग्रेट्स नॉट नन मेजर दैट आई कैन थिंक ऑफ नेटवर्किंग येस आई वॉज देन एंड टू सम एक्सटेंट स्टिल आई एम अ पर्सन हु इज मच मोर ऑफ अ इंट्रोवर्ड देन एन एक्सट्रोवर्ड एंड आई हैव टू train myself i would say i still haven't completely succeeded in learning how to network with other people so the earlier i would have started i think the better it would have been for me read i'm this is going to sound like an exaggeration but read at least 3 to 4 times as much as i actually did in college for the simple reason that learning compounds and the earlier i had started the better it would have been so i think i did a reasonable job in reading while i was in college but i know i could have and now at the age of 41 i know i should have read much more in college so at whatever margin you are if you can fit in more reading please go ahead and read more as a young person navin you mentioned that one of the things that you learned um afterwards in life was networking and you wish that you knew the value of networking before so can you tell our listeners about the piece that you wrote about networking and why it is important and what is the insight that people should be networking and most importantly how so there are two parts to this answer right first is why networking is important and second one uh, how to do it right so uh, why is it important is simply that people are under the misconception that the world is meritocratic and it is not okay you don't get a job purely based on your merits there is a big combination of who you know how did were you introduced to the company once you are within the company you are not going to get uh, promoted purely based on uh, the work you did that will be a combination of whom you know how well they know you and so on but i don't mean to be cynical right even in terms of getting things done your relationships uh, are as important or more important than uh, the title you have or how smart you are and uh, so on so um, networking is probably the wrong word right relationships uh, is a better word uh, if i tell you something and ashish tells you something even if both of us say exactly the same thing you don't give it the same meaning because you have a different relationship with ashish you have a different conceptions misconceptions and uh, ideas about what ashish knows and what he is good at versus me right and that's why you are going to respond differently if i tell you to do something versus ashish telling you to do something uh, it will work differently and that repeats everywhere in life even in your uh, career you can get done far more than uh, with your relationships than with just your basic uh, 
title and your basic skills right so uh, there is a, a good article uh, where um, by jason kaplan moss sorry by jacob kaplan moss where he points out that there are three kinds of power in an organization one is the power you get because of your title because of your role uh, that people are supposed to listen to you uh, right another is because of your expertise and skills the things you know and the things you can do and third is your relationships and the relationships account for around 70% of the power in the long term especially later parts of your career uh, right so relationships are important now i grew up always thinking of networking as something dirty right like you are going there out there trying to sell yourself and uh, of course i also grew up thinking that if you are good you don't need to do any selling uh, right that's what slimy people without any substance do and that's why i never did networking that's why i also uh, had a distaste for networking like you know you go and you walk up to strangers and you start talking about how great you are that just sounds wrong right so the two things uh, it took me a while to realize is that networking most networking is not like that right if you think of it in terms of building relationships it becomes much easier you just want people to know who you are what you uh, do and be nice to them uh, right the second thing that helped me understand was that if you go around trying to help people that automatically builds a whole bunch of relationships for you and the networking happens as a side effect right so uh, i think that's that's the important key part uh, to realize don't think of networking as transactional and i am trying to sell myself or i am trying to get something for me think of it as building relationships and keep the focus as either helping somebody or doing something some initiative that you have taken up just trying to achieve something ashish what do you think i'll first ask what do you think students get the most wrong about networking because i know sure as hell they do but uh, what do you think people in general get wrong about networking treating it as and i really like the framing of it as relationship building rather than networking but treating it as a very transactional thing to do is i think some not necessarily only students a lot of people uh, do this and second adding someone as a connection on linkedin is not networking so building out a linkedin profile and sending out connections to everybody and saying please write endorsements for me is not what networking is reach out to a person offer to buy them a cup of coffee have a conversation with them about a specific problem or about advice and do that a couple of times send that invite out to 20 people maybe two will respond office only one will actually turn up but doing that as a student would be one way, good way to get started on networking but having those conversations and meaningful conversations not saying to somebody that hey I, i know you work over here can you tell me more about the job that you do that's not networking either but a specific ask a specific request for help following up on whatever it is that you received as advice going back and saying all right i worked on this what do i do next and doing this not necessarily with a payoff in mind but just as a mentor mentee relationship would be a wonderful thing to do as a student the weird part is and i didn't do it when i was a student and i wish i had but the weird part is i've been saying this for years but it doesn't seem to take off and i honestly don't know why 
it's not difficult to do and i know i would be more than happy to receive such a request from a person and go and have a coffee with a person and say oh like this is where i can help you this is what advice i can give you and so on and so forth but i wish more students did that that would be a much better use of time than arguing about that extra one mark that you might score in an assignment if you spent half an hour on it or argue with the prof about that one extra mark networking really is a underrated and b at the margin not being done often enough by students i see this from personal experience but i wish more people would start networking at a younger age i think what navin said earlier about people being generally muddled plays a role here because this is something that i've personally observed in the past i've reached out to people asking very general vague questions and when they forced me to narrow it down i also realized that i actually don't have a very narrow specific question or a loophole that i'm trying to figure um out or get the feedback on so i think that's a lot of reasons why even if people are approaching after a point in time they don't really know what they need help with so i think that's number one and second i think is um i think both of you know this tweet by james clear that uh there is only one way of networking that i know is that do interesting thing and yeah. share them publicly with oh, people yes. so tell us about tell like all of our listeners about your experience of that brand of networking efe is a gift that keeps on giving i'm not joking almost all of the projects that i've worked on over the last 3 to 4 years have not come by me going out and asking people you know what i would like to work on this is the other way around and they all have reached me as a consequence of having read my blog or having heard somebody on twitter or linkedin or wherever to speak out my blog and so on and so forth so i may be known today as the guy who writes on efe and it's a wonderful thing and that makes networking so much easier so i have a body of work that i can show to people and say all right this is who i am i don't need to go out and say that this is what i do it's there go take a look at it if you want me to come and talk to you about it or you want to come and speak to me about it or you want to recruit me for a particular project brilliant but it's a brilliant way to network it doesn't have to be a blog not everybody likes writing maybe you like creating a youtube channel maybe you like creating a tiktok whatever it is a tiktok thing amis are called maybe you want to put out reels on instagram whatever it is but ha- if you have an electronic device and these days hardly anybody does not you have the ability to put stuff out there online please put stuff out there online whatever it is that you say you are passionate about go and do it so your cv is today your presence on the internet it's not that piece of paper i mean all of us still have that piece of paper but what you have chosen to put out there online is who you are identified as and it's a yes absolutely it's a wonderful way to network so i can't tell you how happy i am not just because i write on the blog but all the positive externalities that have resulted for me having written on the blog are just like i said a gift that keeps on giving navin. heavily recommended truly same uh, navin you also have a similar trajectory in terms of writing something maybe not literature but a technical code that led you to meet no no it's people. much simpler than that right uh, before that let me get to one point you said and ashish also mentioned earlier right that you should go and ask people for help my experience is that most people don't even think they need much help okay which is what uh, i think you discovered when you asked questions and you realize that you don't really have that many questions to ask uh, i would like to reframe it as follows right that think of yourself 2 years ago okay and the things you did not know at that time 
create like Insta Reels or a blog or a YouTube channel or a podcast or something where you are giving that information to those people, right? Who are two years behind you. Most people don't think of themselves as uh, having anything interesting to say. So the whole part of do interesting things and share them publicly, uh, they are not able to do because they don't think of themselves as interesting. Instead, think of it as you are trying to help yourself two years ago, three years ago. And you don't even have to give your own insights because you are clearly don't think of yourself as that great. Find interesting people to answer questions from people who are two years behind you, right? And that's what I ended up doing in some sense. In my company that I was working for, I had just come back from US and uh, when I came back, I was under the assumption that in India, there is no really interesting work uh, happening in software. All the interesting work happens in US and boring work gets uh, shifted to India. And I was surprised to find that there is a lot of interesting work. Second thing I realized was that there were multiple groups in the company doing interesting things. And what this group is doing was not really known to the rest of the company. And I thought, oh my God, this is such a this is so sad, right? So I started writing an internal articles just explaining this group is doing this, this, this. After a week, this group is doing this, this, this. The thing that I wasn't doing was I was not going around trying to sell myself. I was not going around with the intention of networking. I wasn't also going around with the intention of making myself known to people. All I wanted was that, oh, if somebody should have told me this, six months ago, right? So I started writing about that. Uh, and then later on, when I quit the company, I started doing the same thing, but at a Pune level, right? Because there were companies in Pune doing interesting work that nobody else in Pune knew about. And that's how uh, my site Pune Tech uh, was born. What I realized many years later is that the networking happened as a side effect of this, okay? I didn't think of myself as an interesting person. I was writing about other interesting people, okay? I didn't think of myself as having a whole bunch of questions uh, that I wanted answered or uh, needing a whole lot of help to do something. But I didn't know that, oh, people like me who are a few years behind, they would have these questions and it would be nice to answer for them, right? And that's how uh, the content got created. So I think I'm saying pretty much the same thing as what Ashish said, but with this additional framing that, you know, fine, you're not interesting, I don't care. And you don't have any questions, I don't care. Just find people like you, but who are behind you and find ways to create content for them. I think it's very similar to Ashish, what you've said earlier in terms of you write for an 18-year-old Ashish. Yes, I was just about to say, so th that very much is, both when I teach and when I write, I am addressing myself at the age of 18 and I have a very clear idea in mind. I wish somebody had told me this when I was 18. It may not please everybody, but when I hit publish on a post on EFE or when I teach a class, I always ask myself if I was attending this class at age 18, would I have enjoyed this class? And so long as my answer to that question is yes, I think I've done a decent enough job. One. And second, to add to what Naveen said, the act of writing will itself put questions in your mind and that will allow you to ask much more interesting questions. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there. What is your worst case scenario that people will say that what you've written on your blog is wrong? Fine, tell me how I'm wrong. 
that itself becomes an act of mentoring but put yourself out there and please please put yourself out there so as a student you should be putting stuff out online videos blogs podcast doesn't matter but create uh there is one thought that sometimes bothers me in terms of the meaning in the work that you do and what i mean by that is that with this whole explosion of ai ai safety um there is so much high impact work that gets done in through say these um mit labs etc i think after a point in time some people start to think that what am i really doing in this world i have this boring 9 to 5 jo- job that i don't even like that much i am just this small peg in this huge machine that i don't really i can't really understand the impact that i'm making and this is something that i've been thinking lately that i am so far removed from the really interesting and important things that are happening on not even a global maybe on even on a national level and not maybe on a national on a state level even and i just feel that oh am i wasting the time energy and resources that i have so have you ever felt this sense of flee fleeting sense of okay maybe no i have to work on quote and quote better and quote and quote more important things speaking for myself no i have not uh maybe when i was in college I'll, but nothing comes to mind immediately as i having resonated with what you said and in fact if anything while you were speaking i couldn't help but think that the fact that you're doing what you are right now by definition puts you i would argue, assume and argue in top 5 1% of people of your age so both for you and for me personally i don't worry about doing stuff that may not be important or am i missing out on something today if you're connected to the internet by definition you know what is going on the world over and sure the specifics of your job may not be the most interesting but it's always possible for you to catch up with what is happening so personally no i haven't had that fear of missing out on the action if anything my job which is really writing on my blog every day allows me to find out what people are doing and put it out there so even if as navin said in response to an earlier question even if i myself am not interesting i will always find something interesting to read about and teach other people about so you know i think there are some people who are very ambitious and who want to make a dent in the universe and so on and uh, you know then they want to go and see what is the biggest problem i can solve and try to solve that and so on i am not one of them so in that sense every once in a while i mean on a regular basis i do feel that oh what i am doing is not like big or important or you know going to make a dent in the universe and then i tell myself i'm okay uh, with that uh, i don't really look very far into the future and say well this is what i want to achieve by that time so and th- i don't do that instead i just optimize for interesting right now right as in one is pushing myself a little bit further than where i was yesterday and uh, doing more interesting things today uh, of the options that i can see right now picking the most interesting the ones that will result in most variance and luck so i think that's that's decent enough because i think that even i was thinking the other day that it takes courage and also a little bit of maturity to realize that you can't do everything and that to recognize your limits not because they are self imposed limits but because 
you need to understand that you can't be the one superman who saves the world and the universe from everything and i think that uh there is also perspective in realizing the fact that the whole world is a machinery that is working because everybody is doing good at what they're doing so i think that people can also find meaning in the specific thing that they do yeah. so i think a couple of things i want to add to that is one uh, one side effect of curiosity is that you run into more and more people doing more and more interesting stuff and no matter how good you are at anything you will constantly be consuming or looking at people who are doing far more interesting things with far more uh, ability and far more achievements so if you start thinking too much uh, uh, comparing yourself to them you're just not going to be able to function right and uh, just to sort of say this the same thing in a slightly different way is that in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy uh, there is this person whose wife always keeps trying to tell him that you should have a sense of perspective and he then invents a machine called the total perspective vortex where once you look inside that you totally really get a sense of perspective and you understand your position in the whole universe and uh, uh, then Uh, you totally lose your mind because you realize you are so insignificant and his main point is that nobody can afford to have a sense of perspective so you know maybe not a very good idea to think about it too much to quote the title of my favorite blog a marginal revolution is enough you don't need to change the world true i, I do think it's about understanding what is it that you what are the battles that you want to fight for yourself while doing the things that you want to be doing um i want to ask you what are the habits that you think you have that give you the most outstanding benefits and vice versa so again i'm very acutely aware of the fact that i haven't written on the blog today but when i'm reasonably regular with posting writing every day on efe is by not so secret superpower it the more i think about it the more there are opportunity cost to it so forcing yourself to write every day means that i end up not writing too much of long form essays not writing major chunks of work because even writing that one post a day does take it out of you but still it instills in me a sense of discipline and it has had so many of the benefits that i have spoken about so to me the habit that i'm most proud of is the fact that i've written reasonably regularly on efe and the amount of time i spend on youtube is my is something i really wish i could get better at twitter also used to be it but now i'm proud to say that i've been off twitter for a fair while now and i want to come back to twitter but once i figured out how to use it correctly so writing regularly and spending too much time specifically on youtube and twitter are my pluses and minuses so um, just i maybe i'm rephrasing what uh, ashish said for me i think uh, i have a mild discipline okay as in the discipline isn't on a day to day basis it is not that strong but over a period of months or years i have pretty good discipline uh, maybe you can call it uh, consistency uh, so i'm uh, able to do that and then uh, combine that uh, with curiosity uh, so i end up 
कंज्यूमिंग अ लॉट ऑफ इंटरेस्टिंग स्टफ विच कंपाउंड्स ओवर टाइम वन ऑफ द टाइम्स वन आई सैट एंड प्रायोरिटाइज थिंग्स आई हैड आई रियलाइज दैट आई वॉज कंज्यूमिंग टू मच एंड नॉट क्रिएटिंग इनफ सो आई मेड अ फ्यू एडजस्टमेंट्स टू इंश्योर दैट आई क्रिएट uh more than whatever i was doing earlier so i think it's a combination of those things just more doing things in long term uh, rather than being very intense and very disciplined and things like that what else is left to achieve in your life my job never gets over until the day that i die my job is to make more people curious about learning so it'll manifest itself in different way sure but if i were to define what my career arc or goal is it is to help people develop and retain a sense of curiosity if i can manage that that's good enough for me so my job is never going to be over i uh, like i said earlier i don't think like that i don't have goals my the only thing is i look at dy by dx right now right so uh push myself a little bit more today than yesterday and of all the interesting options pick the more interesting ones right so that is an ongoing process there is no end to it and there is no uh, list of things being ticked off i suppose both navin and i are saying that the journey matters more than the destination if you enjoy what you're doing then don't worry about meeting some far off target just enjoy what you do and continue doing it or maybe it's a rephrasing of karmanevadi ka raste <laughs> it all boils down to that um i just have two more questions number one is what is a good life for you what after what kind of a life after you've lived that you would think that okay that was a good life for me you saved the really difficult questions for the <laughs> last yeah i actually haven't thought about this explicitly but so long as more or less each day has been spent the way i would have wanted it to your life is a culmination of or if you saying dy by dx and integrate that over the whole of your life yeah. that's that's a good life <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that and i would add that um, you know the people closest to you um, you have good relationships uh, with all of them uh, over time you were happy i mean the happiness was both uh, you know now as well as the integration over time so and what is the advice that you're giving to your 18 year old selves stay curious read more and yes network more <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think uh, that and to add Uh, optimize for interesting optimize for luck and push yourself a little more don't push yourself too much but a little more and karmanevadi ka raste keep that in mind i think these are really um, interesting things to keep in mind thank you so much ashish and navin it was a pleasure to be able to speak to you and i have personally learned immensely through these conversations um and again thank you so much for agreeing to do this It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. This was a great conversation.